Hello, space fans, and welcome to another episode of the Supercluster podcast. I am Jamie Carrero here with my space friend, Robin Seamangle, and we have a special guest this episode, an entertainment host and creator for The Morning Brew, Brandon Katz. Welcome, Brandon. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me again. And Jamie, you got that sweet, sweet announcer voice. I got this nasally Squidward voice. So I'm very jealous. <laughs> uh, well, we all have a face for radio, boys. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> and Brandon, thank you for being on the show again. And Jamie, thanks for that wonderful introduction. We, we do these movie podcasts, I would say, a couple times a year. They're our favorite thing to do, low-key. Um, and um, everyone here loves movies. I think everyone that works at Supercluster, to some degree, is a filmmaker. In some aspect, uh, filmmaking is uh, many things at many levels. We love the art of making movies. We love celebrating movies. And we love talking about movies. Today, we're going to you know, talk about some of those big pop culture temples and even those little rare sci-fi space movies that have come from the past that have kind of stuck with us. And I think that we're going to start off with the more fresh current event type news that we've had recently. And just before we started this podcast, Disney announced that Obi-Wan Kenobi will be delayed a couple days to Friday, May 27th. And they're going to show two episodes instead of one at the premiere. I know a lot of our Supercluster fans are Star Wars fans. Brandon, I hate to ask a negative question to start off the show. It hit me. Is this a, a worrisome move, this little couple day delay, suddenly showing two episodes instead of one? I know there's been a little controversy around Darth Maul not <laughs> being included in the show. What are we to make of this? Listen, it's only a four episode limited series, so it is a a, a little odd to see that. Wait a minute, it's four episodes long. It's a four episode limited, unless they they've added and and you know uh, yeah. things in the editing room can always change. Very but it true. is supposed to only be a, a four episode limited series, and it's a, it's a little weird that they're opening with two episodes. But yeah. I think this more has to do with them compressing their schedule to give the avalanche of projects that they have coming out on Ava, uh, on Disney plus the rest of the year, just a little bit more breathing room. And frankly, they would not have made this move unless they were confident in the product because it is now opening head to head against stranger things Four on Netflix. Wow, that is, so, ooh, I mean, they're not going to do yeah. that unless they think they've got a knockout on their hands. So while it's a little bit odd and yeah. last minute, listen, they're, they're not setting themselves up to get smacked by a competitor. Wow. Yeah. So it's Disney versus Netflix. Oh, I would yeah. say in general, it seems like the cadence of the release of shows is becoming something that all of these streamers may have to get a little more open minded about, you know, because on the on the one end, you have binge watching on the other end, you have weekly release. But I think they're going to have to get more strategic because there's really right. no reason yeah. that any length of time is dictated. They can. It's up right. to them. Right. And Brandon, when we used to see films competing films drop on the same day in a movie theater. Let's talk pre-pandemic. Is it that serious of a playing field when both are streamers and people are at home and they're already paid for the subscription? Like, what are we battling for here? Yeah, so I've always looked at this in past scenarios like when Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker opened on the same day as The Witcher on Netflix. I was like, wow, are they going to cannibalize it? I know it's different mediums, but I was very interested in digging in and talking to experts in the field. And I think the general consensus is when you're talking about at-home platforms, 
there's an infinite amount of time. Whereas sure. with movies, it's very scheduled. Mm. And, you know, two blockbusters opening head to head is going to be more oppositional. Right. This is more additive. You know, mm. one person can crush both episodes that come out for Obi-Wan Kenobi and then immediately switch over to Stranger Things 4 within the same weekend and vice versa. So it's not as much of as, as a kind of toe-to-toe battle. And I just want to add on to the first question, too. I did forget, this makes Obi-Wan Kenobi opening two days after the anniversary of Star Wars A New Hope. So I think that probably played into it mm-hmm. as well. And at the end of the day, you know, they have so much they have to fit into their schedule. I think this is more about housekeeping. And moving forward, we are going to see some Wednesday releases for Disney+, Plus, some Friday releases. They want to own different days of the week. And that's going to require a lot of experimental release strategies, which I think streaming gives you the freedom for, and which I love. You know, this is completely unrelated, but Apple TV Plus debuted the premiere of their murder mystery comedy, The After Party, both on their platform and on YouTube for free. And I thought that was an amazing way to generate buzz in a non-traditional way. So I think all streamers are going to experiment with different release strategies moving forward. And right, and one release strategy doesn't have to be the same for two shows. And I think we'll see that going forward. Kenobi being four episodes is surprising to me. I I don't know why I assumed it would be at least six. I think that's been the convention so far. Brandon, what's your outlook for the show? Disney and Star Wars has been a hit or miss. Oh, you know what? I apologize. I don't mean to interrupt. I think I was wrong. I, I'm looking it up now. It mm. was once supposed to be four, and, and now I think it's it's six with okay. Deborah Chow directing each one. So my fault, everyone listening. Ah, uh, okay. Everyone panicked at the same time there. <laughs> <laughs> and Deborah Chow, she's an incredible filmmaker. And I think that what I've seen so far from the trailer and some images, it looks really cool. And I think when I... You know, I know that the, I don't know what to categorize one, two, and three. Is it the 90s trilogy? I'm going to call it the 90s trilogy. The prequel trilogy. Prequel trilogy. It's not even in the 90s. Um, Prequel trilogy. I remember Obi-Wan Kenobi being, at the time, the thing that was really amazing about those movies and sort of the person that saved those movies in a way. And I think his character was always beloved. I think now... I don't know how this happened. I think we even talked about it before on a previous episode, Brendan. The The prequel trilogy is seen in a different light. Yeah. I don't know how really that <laughs> happens. I don't know if it's because of all the amazing memes. Um, or <laughs> it's because... The younger generation yeah. has a lot of fondness for it. And I say yeah. good for them. I think anything that's that's pro Star Wars is usually pretty good. I personally don't love the prequels. I'm going to stick with that. I I don't give into this revisionist history, but if other people want to like it for their reasons, then who are we to say they're, they're wrong? Oh, sure. I think that, you know, nostalgia is talked about a lot, but it is not in and of itself a bad thing at all. And if you were six years old in 99, when the first prequel movie came out, you're going to feel differently than if you were thinking back to your lifelong fandom of the original trilogy. And now those people, are in their 20s or 30s looking back at that at that prequel trilogy yeah it's part of childhood they play probably played with those toys instead of the luke and han toys and you know it's a lot of uh nostalgia but i think that part of it is a lot of the toxicity around the new trilogy 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think um, a lot of people were like, oh, well, yeah. you know, sometimes the new thing makes you appreciate the older thing uh, a little bit more. And for some people, that's the case. For some people, it's it's the other thing. And I think it's fine. Well said. I, I always like to say, particularly within the film Twitter bubble, that nobody hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That is, oh, God. That is so on point. But look, Boba Fett was, I would say mixed. The reception was mixed. I personally enjoyed watching it. I did think it had some problems. We wrote about it in Supercluster, not the show, but we wrote about the long history of Boba Fett fandom, which was is a beautiful thing to see this group of people, a very large group of people around the world. They love this character from, you know, the 70s. And, and also a character who is barely in the movie when you really right. get down barely to it. Any lines, yeah, very, barely, very minor character right. who somehow had this massive spinoff, you know, and obviously right. there's people who in, in the book lore have spun off every single character yeah. that even had one frame of screen time. But Boba Fett got into the mega mainstream right exactly and i'll say that one awesome thing about the boba fett show was how for two episodes it was just the mandalorian and you know i'm not gonna look here's the thing i'm not gonna be a hater on things that i like at the end of the day because it's like yeah that is kind of messed up but i liked what you gave me to some degree well the rumor i'll enjoy it the rumor, at least what I heard, and maybe Brandon, you, you have some insight on this, was that there actually were two episodes that were shot as Mandalorian, not released, like they were sort of on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. And then when they made Fett, they were like, hey, we have these, they fit in enough. So they released them. I, I heard something <laughs> similar. I heard that the sh- they thought the show would be in trouble if they didn't swap out those two episodes. But I can never confirm any of these things. And you know what? There's also the possibility that it was part of the long vision of this. And like they wanted to intertwine Boba and Mandalorians. Here's the thing that I that didn't connect for me because I was like, yeah, I understand why you're connecting these. But I thought the connector would be Mandalorian culture because like what what's the thing that connects Mando and Boba? It's their suits and, you know, and sort of their family history, et cetera. But. I thought that the Boba Fett show would lean into the Mandalorian culture, like maybe him learning about it. And instead, it was about him adapting to Tuscan culture, which I also loved. I thought it was really great that we got to re-explore and recontextualize the Tuscan readers because they were done so wrong. Even in the prequel trilogy, they were like, you know, they were treated inhumanely. So, yeah, I'm still confused about what that connector is, if there is an in-universe explanation as to why we suddenly veered off to Mando's story. And you know what, though? Like I said, it's all awesome at the end of the day. <laughs> I enjoy watching it. So it's like, I don't care at the end of the day. You know, it. it, it listening to you say that, Robin, it occurs to me that, like... In some ways, why are there any separate shows in that universe? Why are, why isn't it just, <laughs> just be all Star Wars? Yeah, the serialized adventures of the Star Wars universe. And they're like, episode 38. This one, in this episode, we feature Boba Fett going on an adventure with these characters. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. So, Brandon, tell us what's, what's coming beyond. Because we know there's a couple of shows. I was watching Kimmel the other night. And Childish, I call him Childish Cambino, Donald Glover was on promoting Atlanta. And Jimmy Kimmel was like, oh, I heard you're going to be on Lando. And I was like, that's a thing. And he kind of confirmed it in a way. So you don't, I know that Disney and Lucasfilm 
they do green light things and some of those things don't come like uh patty jenkins movie ryan johnson's trilogy we don't even know if that's a thing anymore but brandon what's what's coming what's your outlook on like just lucasfilm and like are there things that we know that are coming so we know ahsoka is getting her own series which i'm thrilled for and that will presumably pick up post star wars rebels which was the great animated show with her looking for ezra bridger and grand admiral thrawn so that's a really really interesting way not only to connect to beloved animated series but to introduce these fan favorite characters into live action then that, that can then have a further lifespan moving forward in the Lucasfilm trajectory. So that's really exciting. We know we're getting the Acolyte, which is going to be finally, finally the first Star Wars project that really, particularly in live action, that that takes place outside of that same 60 to 70 year Skywalker saga. You mean beyond the last movie? Yes, yes. So so this this takes place at the end of the High Republic. So 200-ish years before the events. Oh, okay. So it's before. uh, Yes. Yes, nice. and, and, and it's going to follow actually a dark side uh, apprentice. So I think that's a really cool new twist in terms of how we're looking at protagonists, how we're looking at the traditional good versus evil battle. And again, finally getting us out of that same, same uh, timeline. Because so to this me, is a different era, basically. Yeah, yes. really different. The end of the High Republic era, which, okay. which nerds know well. And yeah. it's just really cool because I, I feel like this constant obsession with the Skywalker saga timeline makes what should be an expansive universe filled with hundreds of thousands of fictional history years feel very small and feel like it is circling the same drain over and over. So I'm really glad we're expanded, expanding beyond that. We should be getting Rangers of the new Republic, which is going to follow a lot of characters that, that we've seen thus far though. Maybe that won't go forward as previously planned due to the, the Cara Dune drama and whatnot. And uh, then we should eventually at some point be getting a Taika Waititi Star Wars film Mm -hmm. and a film produced by Kevin Feige. And now we we know the Patty Jenkins Rogue Squadron film is on hold. We don't know if that's going to be forever, but Mm -hmm. right now it's not looking good. And I would say don't ever expect Ryan Johnson's trilogy. I think that's that's dead and gone. It's dead. Yeah, Yeah, I heard it was dead. Although I, I got to just totally applaud the idea that they can shed the shackles of that original trilogy, move to a different era. And like you said, just explore this universe because it felt I mean, I remember the first time I saw that movie, it felt so big that there were so many things I didn't know. So many dark and light and wonderful and terrible corners of the universe. And they need they can go forever if they just give themselves a little freedom. I also look forward to the opportunities for experimenting with tone uh, right. that that might provide yeah absolutely i mean like if we could get if they can do something like the animated star wars visions which is a series of anime and anthology snippets which i thought was wonderful it was great yeah but you don't have to do that in live action necessarily but it goes to show you that at least they can experiment see what works and then they can pick and choose which elements and characters and experimentation they want to include in future live action blockbuster productions so i i think it's all a good thing for us star wars fans i do want to say in this new era we talked about the Disney Plus shows. I think there's general praise for Mandalorian. But I think Rogue One, a few years back, 
I thought that was a really, really great movie. Yes, and that reminds me, we're getting the Cassian Andor Rogue One prequel series oh, on Disney right. Plus as well. So thank you for yeah, for reminding yeah. me. Oh, yeah. and, that, and that stars Diego Luna. Yeah, yeah, he's oh, returning, oh, and I that'll be put, yeah. show how how he kind of got into like the spy world and everything. So it's set yeah. before Rogue One, so it's a prequel to a prequel. Yeah. But at least it's with a very cool character that I will like seeing again personally. Yeah. I love when they do the war part in Wars. Yeah. Star Wars. It's just really, yeah. it's really great. Well, my, stars, my dream, wars. <laughs> this, this will likely never happen, but my dream would be for there to be Star Wars movies at every rating level and they would cover different parts of the story. So you'd get like, you know, oh, the they have to go get the special data about the Death Star and there would be a movie that comes out that's rated PG or PG-13. But then someone would go and make a war movie about one of those battles and it would be rated <laughs> R and it would be yeah. for adults and it would be like watching a movie uh, you know about vietnam except in outer space or something <laughs> you know like i think yeah it'd be wonderful no, that would be my simple ask of lucasfilm is to push the story forward like i just want to know you know i i have mixed feelings also about where they took the story with the newer trilogy and but i did like some i did like a lot of it i did like a lot of the characters and you know that's over with and I know that you said Taika Waititi's doing a Star Wars. I heard that's coming along, which is, that's exciting. And the Kevin Feige produced Star Wars movie. For those who don't know, Kevin Feige is the master of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, all of those millions of threads and connections and right. after credit scenes and everything. <laughs> yeah. He's he's the man he's the behind brain. the curtain. Yeah. yeah, he's the brainchild of everything. So and he's also a big Star Wars fan. And a big space fan, I heard. So uh, if I get, if you're listening, our emails are on the website. Jamie and I's emails are on the website. <laughs> Hit them up. Hit them up. Yeah. Talk um, about all of the million uh, Easter eggs I can expect from his Star Wars movie, and I'm, I'm not mad about it. But yeah, that's all I, I want to see. I want to see the, the Star Wars movie. The Star Wars movies move forward the timeline. Like what happens after the death of all these characters and, you know, after this new generation? I think maybe that's where Ryan Johnson's trilogy was supposed to go. And uh, I would like to see someone pick that up and, and continue it on. Which I'm hopeful for. And, and what a shame that Ryan Johnson's trilogy got canned. Now, love or hate The Last Jedi. I, I understand the, the backlash. I understand the support for it. But Ryan Johnson is one of the most original and creative voices we have in Hollywood Absolutely. today. And allowing yeah. him to do something in his own corner of Star Wars, completely free from the shackles of world building and specifically trilogy connection, that would have been great. I think people who even hated The Last Jedi would probably get on board with something he gets to create from the ground up. Yeah. Fit oh, his, totally. Into yeah. the greater puzzle. So it, it's a bummer that's not happening. Yeah, yeah, and honestly, the way I feel about that movie is, and I, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I really, really enjoyed what he was attempting to do. I thought right. it was like a really, you know, people can go back and forth and call it, oh, subverting expectations just for its own sake. But I don't think it was that. I think he yeah. actually wanted to explore some of the implications of this story from a new perspective. And that's wonderful and great. But yeah, man, if they gave him his own play, because I, I mean, I love Looper. That was a heck of a lot of world building oh, yeah. that he yeah. did you know, on his own. Was, so right. I want to see him. Yeah, send him off to a distant planet and tell him to color it in. Not, not that we need to go back to the past too much, but I have always been very consistent since the moment I got out of theater on The Last Jedi. And I always say its highs were much higher than The Force Awakens and its lows were much lower. Yeah, that's a good that's a good oh man you just made me realize something 
that I don't think I had articulated to myself is it is my favorite of the three new ones. It yeah. definitely is. The first one was a rehash. The third one was insane. And so, <laughs> and so yeah, if I had to go back and watch one of the new movies, it's definitely going to be his. I love that. I, I, I love that. It's just insane. <laughs> I, I think of the if we're if we're expanding the scope a little bit out of the Disney era Star Wars films, Rogue One is my favorite. Yeah. If, we're, if we're allowing yeah, us yeah. to go outside the trilogies, yes, yeah. yes, definitely. I have to agree with that. I'm not going to say that Star Wars was stolen from Dune, but I'm going to say it was heavily influenced. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to use that bridge to talk about Dune a little bit because the Academy Awards were this past weekend. And, you know, of course there was controversy. We're not going to talk about that. But Dune won six Academy Awards, Mm -hmm. which is incredible. Um, Our king, Hans Zimmer, (laughs) won his Oscar. He was asleep in London at two in the morning. His daughter woke him up he he had like an Oscar with him. Do they deliver? Do they hand deliver you your Oscar wherever you are in the world, or was that like a fake Oscar that he had? Maybe it was his previous one that he was <laughs> yeah. like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna party with this bad boy tonight till I get my new one." Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> he did. His previous Oscar was from The Lion King, correct? Uh, I don't know. Remember off no. the top of my head, but, but I know Hans Zimmer deserves to have all the Oscars, all, not just yeah. a couple. Oh yeah. I really, I don't know who won the year Interstellar should have won, but Interstellar should have won that year. I love that soundtrack. Sometimes yeah. I listen to the main theme while I'm running on the treadmill just oh, to yeah. show you what I'm about. Yeah, space yeah. people listen. Going. Yeah, space people listen to that soundtrack all day, no matter what they're doing, uh, especially when they're working. But yeah, congrats uh, to Hans Zimmer. Dune is awesome. It is such a great film i've watched it a few times uh what do we know about the sequel are we the, I've, the, I've heard the some... second the second part yeah i'm, I'm, I'm gonna sorry, be, the, two. be the annoying person who's like <laughs> yeah. i don't know part if two. i like dune yet i've only seen half part two <laughs> but i've heard some casting rumors it's looking like it's shaping up and i wonder if it's gonna be on that level where it just like gets a bunch of oscars and will the director denis Villeneuve, will he he wasn't nominated for Best Director, which is Huge a shame. Snub, particularly yeah. given the technical support, the right. technical category support that Dune accrued this award season and how they made out like a bandit. Six out of ten Oscars, uh, right. you know, this past weekend. So yeah. for him not to be recognized in a director slot, I think to me was egregious. I agree, because it's funny. I, I firmly fall down in the category that it, you should not give best picture to a film like this simply because it's the first part of something, not even speaking to its quality. Right. But I felt like it was an absolute lie. I mean, think of the amount of of decision-making prowess that was on display in him crafting all of these details together. Like, it's an incredible feat of directing. And to not even be nominated, I think, is a real hole in the list. I felt that Dune was the most one of the most transportive movies I've I've seen in terms of uh, audio visual immersive experience. You know, everyone. I I think a lot of people hold Avatar up as like the modern standard, but to me, I'm someone who didn't really like Avatar, but I, I can appreciate the visuals. But because it was so overwhelming with with colors and new creatures and really he was packing every single frame with as much otherworldly detail as possible i felt like okay yeah like i'm clearly in a fantasy land whereas this felt like the most realistic depiction of what future society among the stars could actually be like oh yeah absolutely like the world building was 
incredible, you know, and like you said, it deserved everything that it won. But strangely, the the sort of collective guidance of all of those achievements was not recognized. And, you know, I can't help but think maybe I'm wrong, but Denise, he's an auteur filmmaker to some degree. I'm in his films. When I watch them, they each have a signature style, no matter what genre they're in. He's done Arrival. He's done Sicario. He's done Blade Runner. He did Prisoners, right? He did Prisoners. He did Enemy. He's done a couple of French-language films. The guy really doesn't miss. I think, personally, you could make the case that he's the best active working director in uh, Hollywood right now. Pound for pound right now, yes. I would have to agree with that. And I think that he will get his justice with Dune Part 2, maybe get an Academy Award for it. I believe he was nominated for Arrival, too. Yes, so it's not yeah. like he's never been nominated, but man, right. you know, leaving right. him off the list is brutal. But right. yeah, listen, I, to, to be honest, I, I really like Dune. I didn't love it. I gave it like in that BB plus range, but yeah. it was still such a wonderful experience in terms of theater going and still very rewarding upon rewatches and just so immaculately put together on on every technical level that, I'm thrilled for the second part. And I'm, you know, I'm a book reader as well. I've read the first two. I'm going to start the third one soon. So, you know, I'm very interested in the world, the Duneverse, as fans call it. Oh, totally. And my primary gripe, honestly, with the film is really with, uh, it's not even with the film, it's with the business of Hollywood. Because in my fantasy land, they let Villeneuve make both parts. And then I watch them with like a nice lunch in between, you know, because (laughs) because I think ultimately we will see when he's done that that's what you're supposed to be doing. And this very long gap of an intermission um, is not necessary other than because of, you know, business reasons. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's got an extremely high floor given Villeneuve's talent in terms of us looking back on the Dune series as one of the most complete and, you know, incredible packages of previously thought to be unadaptable material ever. Oh, yeah. And if I'm thinking, hey, this first movie was kind of, you know, t- too much intro, too little plot. Well, at the beginning of part two, he's going to be able to hit the ground running from the oh, yeah. very beginning. So I, I, I have very high hopes, really looking forward to it. Not to get too inside baseball, but any book readers listening out there will will agree that I, I don't think he handles the Messiah complex and the kind of future prophecy that he's that Paul is trying to avoid as well because it's so compressed for time. I, I don't really think that comes across as well in the movie as it does in the book, but I know he's gonna have a little bit more room to operate in part two, and I really think it's gonna come full circle and you know, it'll yeah. be such a fun, oh, I'm going to watch this in the morning, like you said. I'm going to have my lunch. Maybe I'll get a workout in, and then I'm going to come back and watch the second part. Oh, yeah. It'll be great. This six Academy Awards is going to loosen his budget a little bit and oh, yeah. give him a little bit more creative freedom. Maybe the movie's going to be a little bit longer. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited for part two. And I mean, Dune 1 was, you know, give or take 165, 175 million, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. And I got to believe they're going to hopefully get him closer to around that 200 million mark for Dune 2 as a quote-unquote concluding chapter, though they do want to come back in a decade or so and and do book three, which takes place like 10 to 15 years after book two. Right. Yeah. So we can have a whole, this could be potentially three or four Dune movies, I'm guessing. I wouldn't be surprised if there are some form of peripheral products that come out beyond. Television shows and stuff. Yeah, 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 Dune Sisterhood is supposed to be coming to HBO Max. Oh, right. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. There was some news this morning, which I wanted to bring up, but we don't know too much about it. A film is coming from Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson called The Artemis Project. 
and it's going to be directed by Michael Bluth. <laughs> uh, uh, Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman is actually an incredible filmmaker. He he does direct quite a few of the episodes of Ozark. He is the executive producer. But this film package was a hot hot package in Hollywood last few days. It's apparently set against the backdrop of the space race. Now, when I hear Artemis Project plus space race, are they talking about the current quote unquote space race, which I don't know how you're supposed to contextualize that. Or is this a movie that takes place in the sixties, seventies about the moon race with, you know, Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans. We don't know enough about it, but it is an intriguing package that was announced this morning that's going into production. And yeah, I'm excited for it. Yeah. I don't know much about it, but it's a hundred million dollar plus package going right. to Apple, obviously star studded. Jason yeah. Bateman's made a few feature films. He's done really good directorial work on Ozark. So very intriguing, you know, could, yeah. could go either way. My, my big takeaway though is come on, no man or woman looked like Scarlett Johansson or Chris Evans in the sixties where everyone was <laughs> yeah. like, I'm get potatoes and, and cigar every night. Yeah, you know, <laughs> They're both drunk 24 seven. Yeah, I'm like, you're yeah. way too good looking and fit to be in the fifties yeah. or sixties. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Better smoke cigarettes 24 seven. Right? <laughs> yeah. like time travelers. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see if it's about, maybe it's just a straight up science fiction film. You know, that happens to use the name Artemis. As our you know listeners know, Artemis is the name of the new Apollo program Ooh, to return humans. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're not doing yeah. a really great – when I say we, I mean the whole space community. We're not doing a great job of communicating no, to the not, public. Robin. I am slacking <laughs> on my space homework. I apologize to the fans of Supercluster. I will be better. Don't worry. Jamie and I are going to make a short film about Artemis. Yes, at some that point. explains that it. Explains yeah. what That's it awesome. is. It's still shaping up. So hopefully, as rockets launch and the thing gets underground, the public will have a better understanding of what the plan is. Because I will be honest, the plan is very confusing and it's not very concrete. And you know, the people working on those projects will tell you the same thing. So we're all figuring that out. But. The point is, for this movie, I wonder if they're doing a movie about the NASA's Artemis mission, where Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans play people who are going back to the moon for the first time. And it's like a science fiction spin. That could be really, really cool. The I'm going to pull it up real quick because the screenwriter, she comes from a, a, a screenwriter family. Right, Brandon? Did you see the story? Oh, yeah. It's the, it's the daughter of Dan Gilroy and Rene Russo. There you go. And oh, okay. Dan Gilroy and Rene Russo. Rose they, Gilroy is the screenplay yeah, writer. Yeah, Rose Gilroy. So Dan Gilroy, he directed Nightcrawler, which starred Rene Russo. Correct. If I'm, I don't think I'm wrong on this. I'm pretty sure Tony Gilroy is his brother. I would assume so. Now, now yes, I have to look that up. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, really talented family. Just like, yeah. you know, it needs to be a Gilroy. We got to get work in Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, great because I, I love both the completely and utterly outlandish sci-fi that's not remotely possible and is so yeah. kind of distant future, and I also love the really, really grounded sci-based movies i don't even say sci-fi because like i look yeah. at something like first man or, or ad astra it's not so out of out of no. control yeah speculative they're yeah. speculative yeah. yeah like the the martian it was one of my right. favorites because right. it was so like this could kind of happen kind of you know? yeah it's speculative fiction until it's real and and that's fine 
And, and so no matter which way this leans, like, you know, I'm already in based on the hook alone. Well, you had brought up Kevin Feige earlier, and I wanted to touch on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But before that, there's another multiverse film opening this weekend. We're all getting excited for everything, everywhere, all at once, which is brought to you by A24, one of the founders of Supercluster. And I have not seen it yet. I live in Washington, D.C., and it opened in L.A. and New York last weekend. I was really angry going on Fantango trying to see this movie. But Brandon, have you seen it? I did get to see it before it opened, thankfully. And listen, I understand that I'm on an A24 podcast. I don't want anyone to think I'm a shill because I'd gladly, you know, gobsmack something I hated. (laughs) This movie is so weird, so absurd, so riotously hilarious. I loved everything. That's amazing. I mean, Michelle Yeoh is a goddess and the Daniels who wrote and directed are clearly out of their minds in the best way possible. And I thought they did a wonderful job of bringing absurdist comedy and emotional grounding to the kind of center foundational pinpoint of a story. And and they managed to accomplish quite a lot with very little. And I think if you go into this thinking like I'm ready for the most gonzo experience ever, you're going to enjoy it because... You know, listen, I wish Marvel would be as daring with their multiverse shenanigans as this movie is. Awesome. I can't wait. And uh, I have tickets to see it on Saturday. And the things I've been seeing about it online, folks who have seen it, the reviews, other filmmakers who have seen it have all been praising the innovation in the movie and and the the level of storytelling, oh, yeah. the complexity. It's a big We're swing. Really, it's yeah. a big swing. <laughs> We're really, really excited. And congrats to A24 on an, another incredible project. So now that we've talked about that, we can talk about Doctor Strange. This seems to be a highly anticipated movie around the world. Um, Jamie, I'm going to ask you to best explain what a multiverse is. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. Oh, well, I guess, do you mean in the sense of just like my, what it, my limited understanding of real world <laughs> I theory mean, just like, or Marvel theory? <laughs> no, I mean, just in, in the real world. Yes. What well, is our closest to understanding? Because multiverse is in pop culture right now. It it's, is. Like, yeah. Marvel, yeah. DC, A24. Yeah. Yeah. Like, theoretical science, I guess. Right. You know? yeah. well, let's put it this way. Speaking speaking very, very broadly and sort of back of the napkin, which because, again, I'm not, I'm not a physicist, but the idea is that fundamentally every time there is a, some determination made, even at the smallest level, like whether you know a radioactive element decays or whether a photon bounces one way or the other way, every possibility of physical interaction in the universe happens. That's, that's sort of the base idea. Is that, but the way that they all coincide is that it splits off. Every time something goes one way, a universe is created where that happened, but then a universe is also created where the other thing happened. And so essentially everything that can happen is happening in some parallel universe somewhere because all of these multitudinous variations are being played out one by one. I think a great, first of all, that was a fantastic explanation from someone who's dumb and could never have explained it as well. But I think a good distillation of what you just said in entertainment is J.K. Simmons' series Counterpart, which ran for two seasons 
on right. sci-fi and was criminally underrated and criminally underwatched. And if it had been Showtime or HBO, would have gotten so much more love. But that is all about these these individuals who kind of discover a parallel universe and see how tiny decisions and ripple effects create these massive differences between each world. And I, I think that was so interesting. And just so, so to see that kind of galaxy brain thinking enter the mainstream blockbuster superhero world, that's pretty darn cool that we're getting a little weird with it. Weird is good. Yeah, very um, much yeah. so. Yeah, it's just been so interesting to see the discussions around the upcoming Doctor Strange movie because the multiverse opened so much uh, possibilities in storytelling. And I think that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has always done space stuff. I mean, they have Guardians of the Galaxy. There's They're always doing space travel. It'll be interesting interesting to see how weird they get with like the multiverse and they're doing magic now which <laughs> it's just it just it's getting crazier and crazier and crazier brandon what's your outlook uh for these films you've already seen a24's multiverse take do you think dr strange is going to be good they brought back sam raimi I haven't seen a film from Sam Raimi since the original Spider-Man trilogy. Are you excited for the film? Yeah, I'm excited for the film for sure. Obviously, I, I love Marvel, and I think they have a high floor of quality. I, I will say, though, after No Way Home, which which I really, really, really enjoyed, I'm good with this cameo porn that seems <laughs> yeah, to be yeah, yeah. Yeah, infiltrating yeah. blockbuster yeah. movies. You know, I, I don't right. need that. I think... Benedict Cumberbatch himself even questioned during a recent promotional tour, like, does my character even have an arc in this movie anymore? Because it's become so overexposed with like, oh, look who that is. And who's that going to be? And now, of course, we haven't seen the movie yet. We don't know what the final right. product looks like. I do not want to say like anything definitively, but just the way everything sounds, I'm sure it'll be fine because it's Marvel. But I don't need that to be the centerpiece of my franchise movies any longer. I much more care about character, plot, and thematics than I do riding the nostalgia high of familiar faces and well-executed cameos. I, I don't need that to be everything moving forward, and, and that's what I'm a little bit worried about. You know, we have The Flash, which is going to have multiple Batman running around, a lot of different cameos rumored there, so... There's stars uh, in jail. Yeah, yeah. yeah just, I gotta say, I, I think you're absolutely right, and that with Spider-Man, because I also enjoyed that film, I think that Spider-Man's particular kind of character development and choices was the moment when that makes the most sense. Yeah. Because, you know, what does should everyone know I'm Spider-Man or not? Or should I should I bring people into my life or not? Like these kinds of things are in some ways universal to all superheroes, but I think really specific to the little teenager superheroes. So that was kind of the moment to play that out, have it be this decision he makes. And he's like, OK, here I am. But you yeah. can't I agree. You can't just keep doing that or it eats itself. I mean, in yeah. no way home. Every piece of nostalgia is in service of Tom Holland's Peter Parker arc. And I thought they did that beautifully. I didn't think yeah. they would be able to pull yeah. that off. Can that happen in Doctor Strange? Absolutely. I'm not saying it can't. It just like you said, there's different character dynamics at play. There's a different filmmaking team. And frankly, this one, if the rumors are to be, be to believed, is much more of a multiverse cameo extravaganza than No Way Home. So it just has me a little bit worried. It's written by the lead writer of Rick and Morty. Well, they, they do balance it super well. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I think it's Michael Waldron, correct? Yes, it is. Yeah, uh, he, he, he was the head writer on Loki. 
Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he's yeah. talented. He's a guy who's going to have a, a long future at Marvel as well. Yeah. So again, you know, they've earned the benefit of their doubt. I just don't want this to be the template for everything moving forward. No, because, uh, pe- you know, I think a lot of us are waiting for the next Logan. Like when when are we going to get that level of filmmaking behind a superhero character again? And you also know? something different like that, yeah. something where right. they're willing to take some creative risk in, in tone and feeling. But the other right. thing I, I got to articulate that worries me about some of this multiverseness, aside from them just ignoring character and story in favor of cameos, is the idea that everything, or the idea that nothing matters because there are no real consequences right. to our storytelling. If someone is dead, they can come back. If right. someone right. is is gone or lost, you can get anything, you can do anything. So it really has a way of killing the stakes in your drama. Yeah, they need to be careful with the stakes there because if anyone could come back or the, then what's the drama, like you said? And, and Marvel's I, already brought so many people back. We're getting right. a, you know another version of Gamora, all this stuff. Right. They, they, right. they don't like cutting off potential revenue generating opportunities <laughs> in the future. And they're like, yeah. oh, can't be dead forever. That's not going to yeah. play with our investors. Just yeah. a reminder that, the founder, that Walt Disney is frozen under Disney World for a reason. Because no one dies at Disney. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's it's really baked into their DNA. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I saved a topic to close out our podcast today because we love space movies. Space movies have had an influence on a lot of everything in the space industry. Everyone is inspired by Star Trek, Star Wars, different space movies. Contact, as most recently, Arrival. Independence Day. Um, I wanted to talk about a smaller film that many of us has seen and a lot of us have thought about but not talked about in a long time. And it's called K-Pax. Uh, so first and foremost, have you both seen K-Pax? Yes. Yes, sir. Now, we all are well aware that Kevin Spacey is no longer accepted in Hollywood. He's done some awful, horrible crimes and awful things and so for we're going to separate the art from the artist we're also going to remember that it takes a thousand movie a thousand people to make a movie yes yes i think we can we can separate art from artist and it's sort of like no one uh, obviously i'm not i don't want to belittle what he did but if we were to examine the lives of every single person who made art we would have to cancel everyone problematic people out there yeah Yeah. harvey weinstein has 81 oscars so um we're gonna I'm not trying to hire Kevin Spacey, but I do yeah, think yeah. like in the same way that we can listen to Wagner music, we can yeah. watch K-Pax. Exactly. So let's talk about K-Pax because I'd seen it when I was a kid. It really made me think a lot about different things. And it was such a thought provoking film. I watched it recently with my girlfriend just like a couple weeks ago. And the film came out, I think, a month after 9-11 or something like that, like around that time, 2001. And in the movie, one of the you know, big parts of the movie is when they bring Prot. I think his name is Prot in yeah. the movie. They bring Prot to uh, the Rose Planetarium um, in New York City. They, he's with a couple of astrobiologists and astronomers, and he's t- telling them about a planet that they're trying to find. And it's a really cool moment of like, wow, this random person or alien knows about this complex star system where there's exoplanets, et cetera, et cetera. And even at that time, in the real world, exoplanets were was a new idea, new-ish idea. And just the other day, we confirmed the 5,000 in that catalog of planets that exist outside of our solar system. So it was a really cool you know, science moment in the movie. A lot of the film is about psychology and, and you know, 
different themes. They talk about a lot of different things in the movie. But the movie sticks with me because of how they depict like first contact, quote unquote, between this alien and like a psychologist. And some of the things they talk about, like, do you guys reproduce? What are families like? He makes a comment. Oh, wow. The produce on this planet is so good. (laughs) These little details are universe building in a way. I don't know if I have an answer to whether he's an alien or not by the end of the movie. Now, I wanted to ask you both, like, what's your take on this film? Is it good? And did it make you think after watching it? So, listen, K-Pax was savaged by critics for the most part when it came out. If you check all the aggregate review sites, it's got negative ratings on pretty much every <laughs> single one. It's yeah. not considered a good movie. I like K-Pax. I've always liked K-Pax. I think it's aged well. It's aged well. I think, you know, the Kevin Spacey drama outside, I've always really liked the slightly melodramatic, very philosophical slash psychological and somewhat grounded exploration of sci-fi and this like this isn't really about aliens it's about humanity and and how we treat each other and the choices we make and how we navigate the complexities of everyday life and and try to avoid repeated mistakes and and learned behavior that's really what it's about but they say they they present that all through the lens of a science fiction story which i think is clever and good and i remember god it was either it was either Richard Roper or Peter Travers. I can't remember which critic, but it was a famous line where he wrote, K-Pax too quickly goes K-Put, kaput, you know, because he didn't <laughs> like the movie. And, <laughs> and while I always thought that was a clever, clever bit of writing, and I understand some of the criticism, I've always thought this movie was was oddly optimistic and methodically beautiful in its way. It's not the best movie ever, but I, I've always enjoyed it when I come when I come across it and rewatch it. And I think at the time, since we didn't know much, Jeff Bridges and and Kevin Spacey are are great together as these right. very interesting, odd couple leads, and that they complement each other and they push each other to kind of confront truths and be better. So I'm I'm a K Pax fan. <laughs> alien. Yeah. So, so was Pro an alien or not? Oof. Uh, I, I like the ambiguity. It lets the viewer decide for itself. I, I don't know how he, he would possibly know so many of the kind of astrophysics knowledge right. that he did know. But they also present a really compelling case as to this guy suffered a major trauma and had a psychotic break. So my question, I mean, my answer still to this day, you know, 20 plus years after the movie came out is I have no idea. And, and that's OK with me. He also yeah. talks to the dog. I just want to point that out. I mean, for me, that that question is kind of like you. I don't think you can answer a question like that and have it be the same movie. Like you can't end right, the movie right. and sh- he gets in his spaceship and flies away. <laughs> like That would sort of collapse the whole point of thinking about it. I, I mean, I agree that it, you know, it has its weaknesses, but overall, yeah. I remember watching it and being thoroughly taken in by that premise of, well, what if the person over in the corner that you thought was crazy actually was an alien? Like right. entertaining that is a great story just to like, poke at that and see what that would mean and how he would you know, examine us and what we would need in order to believe it. And in the same way, it's almost like they're saying to the audience that we can't give you an answer, but the characters are faced with the same problem. They don't get a 
answer. And they kind of realize that they might not be able to, that the only way they may ever know he's an alien is just by believing that he is. And I think the the, the deliberate takeaway from that, that the filmmakers had in mind is whether he's an alien or another human, he was treated with kindness, patience, and understanding. So it's like, we treat each other like that. And if we ever do come across intelligent life, let's try to treat that, that species with the, with the same respect. So I think that was very deliberate that it, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is the exchange of ideas and emotions and friendship that was built. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's silly and over the top and melodramatic. And like you said, he, he talks to a dog and it can be very straight up dumb at, <laughs> at times. And Aaron Paul is in this kind of punk rock outfit for like one scene. It's very funny and jarring <laughs> yeah. in retrospect, but I, I like K-Pax. I can't help but like it. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and say it. He was an alien. I think. He was certainly smart enough. <laughs> I mean, I like it. I definitely like it better if he was an alien. Like, I yeah, don't know if yeah. he was or he wasn't, but yeah. it's more fun for me to imagine that he was. And also, like, it's funny that aliens would show up and be good at imitating humans, but not quite good enough. And the reason it was also corny and preachy is because he doesn't quite know how to talk to people. <laughs> right, so right, he's right. being like weirdly overbearing and dramatic. Right. You know, that's fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I think it aged well because he just seems like a like a cringy tourist sometimes, <laughs> and I'm just like, well, well intentioned you know, but cringy. <laughs> yeah. All right, I did have one more thing on the on my list because you know, and then I, I'm baffled by the fact that there's three Avatar movies coming out soon. I think there's four Avatar movies actually. Okay. Then <laughs> I'm pretty sure f- he he spent know, after a two. I, my brain was like, okay, we're gonna uh, get multiple. The, the report as of a couple years ago was yeah. a one billion dollar total budget for four Avatar sequels. That number has to have risen exponentially since then. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. My so God. my first question. From a marketing standpoint, do people still care about the Avatar? <laughs> so you would think if this was any other property, any other director, that 13 years after right. the original movie, 13 years, there'd be no heat whatsoever on an IP. And for the most part, they'd be right. But right. I have learned never, ever bet against James Cameron. Those are the fools of the world who bet against yeah. James Cameron. So even though I don't yeah. really like Avatar, I'm very oddly, morbidly excited for Avatar 2, given the decades of delays. And yeah. I absolutely think it's going to be a $1 billion hit, COVID allowing. So I'm going to give James Cameron the benefit of that because he is one of the most legendary filmmakers of all time. Um, he's not just a filmmaker. He's a technologist. He's an inventor. He's a visionary. He's produced a lot of things. He's explored the Titanic. He's explored the Arctic. He's done and sponsored investigations around the world on various things. And he does take a long time to make a film because he creates technology to make that film. Yeah, think of how much of a giant he is and how short his filmography is. It's amazing. He's been directing movies since the early 80s, and he's got, like, what, like, eight? Like, but there, it's such a list of unbelievable game-changing bangers, like Terminator, Aliens, Abyss, Terminator 2, True Lies, Titanic, Avatar. He's just, like, slapping around the film industry with every single film that he makes. And And I believe Terminator 2 was 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 the most expensive film ever made at the time 
and it's still R-rated and still a huge blockbuster hit. And to my opinion, the greatest action movie of all time, right alongside Die Hard. Oh, totally. To and agree. he repeated yeah. that twice in terms of he's he did the highest budget ever with T2, huge right. hit. Highest budget ever with Titanic, huge hit. Highest budget ever with Avatar, <laughs> huge right. hit. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, Terminator, don't get me started on the wonderfulness of that film and how they <laughs> made know, it. It's magic. But they, magic. My, one of my favorite stories in the making of Terminator 2 is in that scene where they go to the computer lab and they're like, we got to blow it up. They just found an office building that had been recently built and just mm-hmm. paid to blow it up and rebuild <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, that's just blows real. Up. Yeah. It's, it's just real. That's why that movie ages so well. Is they just did everything and then they yeah. did CG for like the tiny amount they couldn't do. Even the CGI for the liquid metal totally holds up. Yeah, because it was liquid metal. And James Cameron, like you said, is a technologist. He was like, you know what computers can do? Shiny surfaces. So I'm going to I'm going to CG the hell out of my shiny surfaces and literally everything else will be practical. Anyway. So, yeah, given all of that, (laughs) given his legacy in history. Look, I personally don't know what what people can do. You know, what's left to do? He James Cameron was the first avatar. He sort of popularized 3d watching yeah right and that that sort of died yeah but this so is what, the, this it, is yeah. the first legitimate reason audiences have to buy a premium 3d ticket for right. the first time in like a decade right yeah the other thing that he pioneered which has which has had tremendous sticking power was virtual production where avatar really pioneered this whole idea that you could have actors in mocap suits mm-hmm. and then point a virtual camera at them and see a live render of the 3D models that the mocap suits are going to be controlling. So he walked around the set of Avatar in a green screen studio, handheld camera shooting the movie. And it right. was able, it was this whole new process, which now, if you look at all the offshoots, including like the, you know, the volume that they use for Mandalorian and all these different things, right. that has become this whole new genre. Um, and obviously CG use has only skyrocketed since Avatar. So he, there's also that side where, uh, you know, even hidden to the audience, there are these new new production techniques, which are game changers. You know, incredible. I'll never forget the reviews that started coming out when the first movie dropped and reporters and critics were watching it in IMAX 3D and reporting just like euphoria and just like, I love this movie. It's amazing. And I think for that time, it was such a new, fresh thing we all really enjoyed. And then 3D came and went, you know, so like I... Like, what am I expecting here from James Cameron? Is he going to do something so incredible that we'll have that moment again? Or is he creating something he's created before? And, you know, today's audience is, is not the audience from Avatar. This is an audience that has a television screen in their pocket. We're constantly watching. We're constantly, you know, there's a million options for film and television nowadays. Avatar coming out now is not the same world as, the you know, when it came out back then. So I will be interested to see how the world reacts and just super curious what in thing that he made special for this movie. Well, it's believed that a lot of this is going to take place underwater. So if Aquaman could be this, this crowd pleasing hit a movie, I truly don't like that much, you know, no offense to anyone, but imagine what James Cameron do can, can do with underwater design. Cause no, no doubt James Wan designed the hell out of that, out of Aquaman. It was really, visually splendid but 
man, what, what can James Cameron do? Yeah, I mean, James Cameron mastered filming underwater. That's what he yeah. does. That's why we discovered the Titanic. So it's it's oh, going to yeah. be another home run swing of like, I'm going to try a whole bunch of new groundbreaking stuff and hopefully it works. I mean, the abyss was like it yeah. was infamous for its one. crazy underwater right. production, you know. And and he, yeah, when you combine that with Titanic, you're right. He's kind of become the water guy. Um, <laughs> the water guy. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I think that um, we covered from weird to mainstream today because we went. I mean, guys, we went to K-Pax. And um, Brandon, I really appreciate your time, and, and always appreciate you joining the show. And I think that. We'll have to watch how Star Wars plays out. And uh, we'd love to have you back on to talk about, hopefully, when they have some updates. And we've seen Kenobi. Uh, we'll know what direction Lucasfilm is going in. Thanks, guys, for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm down to come on anytime. Super excited to talk about Kenobi as it's my most anticipated Disney Plus Star Wars show. So, yeah, anytime, man. Just holler. Yeah, and, it should uh, be fun. Yeah, and uh, let's keep an eye on Avatar. For sure. <laughs> how it plays out. I mean, here's the thing. Everyone's going to want to just go see it to see what the heck he's been working on this That's whole true. time. Yeah. 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 And we're getting a trailer soon. So uh, let's see how people react to that. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I mean, uh, I am going to definitely like make sure we keep an eye on, on that, that technical stuff that James Cameron's doing because we could do a whole podcast about how he, they filmed Avatar 2 oh, and yeah. 3 and 4 and 5, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I usually end up hearing about most of that stuff either just through personal interest or just through the work I do in, in film and TV anyway. So that's it for this episode of the Supercluster podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. Uh, make sure to check out our website, supercluster.com, for more great space stories, as well as Supercluster HQ on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again to Brandon Katz for joining us on this episode. And remember, as always, space is for everyone. <laughs> <laughs>